0: Hi everybody, this is uh, Gad Sad for The Sad Truth. Today I have a uh, very interesting guest, uh, some would say a very divisive guest. Let's see if that holds true. Robert Spencer, great to have you on the show. How are you doing, sir? Great to be here,
1: Gad. Thank you very much for having me on.
0: Thank you for agreeing. Let me just sort of uh, speak a bit about your, uh, your bio. You're the director of Jihad Watch, uh, which is a blog that is uh, highly visited, you're also the author of many books, I think 12 or 13. 15. How many? 15. 15, sorry, excuse me. Uh, two of which are a New York Times bestseller, The Truth About Muhammad and The Politically Correct Incorrect Guide to Islam and the Crusades. Other books, notable books, include Stealth, Jihad, How Radical Islam is Subverting America Without Guns or Bombs, and The Post-American Presidency, The Obama Administration's War on America, which you wrote with another uh, bigoted, Nazi, Islamophobe, Pamela Geller. Uh, so there you join forces to diabolically uh, spread hate. So I thought what we'd do is we'd start off exactly with addressing this issue, because I've had, I think, one other uh, guest who you know many people would consider to be very divisive, and that's Tommy Robinson, uh, who's out of England, I think. Are you familiar with his work? Yes, I am. And one of the things that was very interesting post my conversation with Tommy is that endless people, I mean, innumerable people wrote to me both privately and at times publicly on, you know, on my threads saying, oh, my goodness, I I can't believe how much I was sold on this guy being, you know, a Nazi bigot. And then after hearing him speak with you, my impression has completely changed of him. And so let's see if uh, that will hold true about you or whether uh, we will put you in the camp with Dr. Mengele and the rest of the Nazis. (laughs) Uh, Maybe first you could begin by telling us about uh, your very uh, incredible barring from uh, the United Kingdom. Can you talk a bit about that?
1: Sure. Uh, We were, uh, actually, Pamela Geller and I were set to go to Britain to uh, lay a wreath That was all we were going to do. We weren't actually scheduled to speak in any public forum, but we were going to lay a wreath at a memorial for Lee Rigby, the British soldier who was beheaded by a a jihadi a few years back. Uh, This was, uh, I guess, the summer of 2013. And the day before we were going to leave, a FedEx truck drove up uh, right here to my office, and uh, uh, the FedEx man was actually very impressed. He said, this is from the U.K. government. And I knew right then that uh, when I was signing for it, what it was going to say. But what was interesting was, is that the letter from the UK Home Office that was barring me from the country actually said that I was being barred for saying that Islam had a doctrine of warfare against unbelievers, which is like barring me for saying the sky is blue and the grass is green. It's a manifest fact. It's easily proven. And there are many, many Muslims in Britain itself who will affirm exactly the same thing. As a matter of fact, the week before we were barred, the British government, the U.K. Home Office, let in a uh, jihad preacher named Muhammad al-Arifi who has said that jihad is the smashing of skulls and the the splitting of the brains of the unbelievers. And so he obviously thinks that uh, Islam has a doctrine of violence, but he's for it, and I'm against it. Apparently you can only get into Britain if you think Islam has a doctrine of violence and you're for it.
0: Right. Now, I, I do want to quote something that... Uh I think that you said that uh, might be the reason why they barred you because of your hateful language against Islam. So let me just try to look for it here and read it. So the influence of the religion paralyzes the social development of those who follow it. No stronger retrograde force exists in the world. Far from being moribund, Mohammedanism is a militant and proselytizing Faith, those are some really hateful words on your part. Oh, no, wait a second, wait a second. My mistake. That was not you who said it. That was Sir Winston Churchill. So apparently, Sir Winston Churchill, the Prime Minister of Britain who led Britain to victory in World War Two, would be barred from England himself, right?
1: Yes, uh, uh, of course he would be probably treated the way that Paul Weston was, the uh, British politician who was arrested for quoting exactly those words. And perhaps if he had left the country, he might not have been allowed back in, uh, being so hateful and bigoted as to note that Islam has doctrines of violence. <laughs> right. Now, now let's,
0: I mean, let's let's sort of drill down. I mean, I, you know, I, I think I, I'm not exactly sure when I first became aware of your work, but it might have been on your, uh, repeat appearances on Michael Korn's former show on uh, uh, Sun TV or maybe earlier, I'm not exactly sure. And whatever I've watched of yours, uh, I've never seen you espouse anything that was, uh, you know, an incitement to hate or an incitement to violence against Muslims or against anybody. Uh, usually you make statements which can either be proven to be true or false, as we would for any other body of knowledge, right? I mean, I, as a scientist, I submit papers for peer review and then reviewers read it and then decide this is good, it should get in, this needs to be revised and so on. So people can listen to what you have to say and either decide you're completely wacko, you're absolutely wrong or not. But where does the fact that you're a Nazi, Islamophobe, bigoted racist come from? I mean, what can they link to specific things that you've ever said that would necessitate such an appellation?
1: Well, no, actually. You can find uh, online... Uh, supposedly hateful statements that I've said Uh, one of the ones that is most often thrown up to me is that I have said that there's no distinction within Muslim communities between jihadis and peaceful Muslims and people throw this up at me as saying you're saying all Muslims are terrorists when actually that statement is not does not say all Muslims are terrorists at all Uh, there's no nothing that anybody can say that can't be misunderstood (coughs) and in this case what I meant was that jihadis move in and among peaceful Muslims in mosques in the West, and they aren't thrown out, they aren't identified to the police. This has been proven many times to be correct. Uh, The jihadis who fired upon uh, our free speech event in Garland, Texas last year, they were active members of the Islamic Society in Phoenix and the jihadis who murdered 14 people in San Bernardino uh, were active in their mosque and we see it again and again that jihadis have been active in their mosques in the United States the Sarnayev brothers who blew up uh, the Boston Marathon they were active members of the Islamic Society of Boston and so they did move in and among peaceful Muslims there was no distinction in the Muslim community between them and peaceful Muslims and that is a problem that we don't see peaceful Muslims uh, pronouncing takfir or excommunicating uh, jihadis and saying that somebody who believes in Islam the way Osama bin Laden and ISIS believe in Islam, they are not to be coming to the mosque. We haven't seen that. And that's what the statement means. Uh, In reality, I have challenged many, many times on Twitter. People come up and they say, you know, you're you're bigoted and racist and full of hate. And I say, please produce one hateful statement from me. And uh, one fellow actually just the other day, when I challenged him to do this, he uh, went back to a book that i wrote in two thousand five the politically incorrect guide to islam and the crusades and quoted me saying that it's time for people in the west to start defending themselves against the jihad as if defense self-defense and defense of free nations is somehow hateful and bigoted it was ridiculous but it just shows they don't really have anything on which to base these claims the claims come because really anyone and everyone not just me but anyone and everyone who dares to say that uh, dares to point out how Islamic jihadis use the texts and teachings of Islam in order to justify violence and hatred and supremacism they get tarred with these labels and the the purpose of it it's a tactic and the purpose of it is to discredit us in the eyes of people who are uninformed or on the fence And make them think, well, I don't want to have anything to do with that guy. Everybody says he's hateful and bigoted. And so it it, it works very well as a tactic. But anybody who is fair-minded and looks more closely at what I say and what I write will see that there's absolutely no substance to these charges, that everything I've done in my career is to try to advance... The uh, defense of the freedom of speech, the defense of the freedom of conscience, the equality of rights of all people before the law. Uh, if that's hateful and bigoted, well then, I guess we all are.
0: You know, it's interesting because uh, you just mentioned how it's a tactic to try to dissuade people from even engaging with you. So a few days ago, I uh, rece- when I first announced that I would be speaking with you, I received on my public thread, but on my personal Facebook page, a message uh, which has now no longer there because the gentleman has deactivated his Facebook account. I'm not sure if it was because of our exchange. He's a young uh, doctoral student in philosophy out of Australia, and I'll very quickly sort of paraphrase the the timber of our chat. Uh, he basically says, "Oh, you're you're having this fraud on uh, that's going to you know damage your brand name." And so I wrote back, you know, very politely. It was all done, you know, in very good spirit. I said, oh, I mean, I've certainly heard that, you know, he's a Nazi, Islamophobe, bigoted, racist uh, Hitler. But I've never heard that he's a fraud. Can you point to specific, uh, because I think it would be good for us to air out those things. So could you point to specific things either now or after I chat with him that would be fraudulent? So then he backtracks from fraudulent, but then says, but, you know, but you associating with him, engaging him is a bad idea. To which i responded well i'm jewish and i believe in the right of holocaust deniers coming on campuses and spewing their astonishing and grotesque positions now he's a bit unbalanced right because he doesn't know what to answer to that he goes well i guess you must have a lot of you know big balls i mean he didn't use those terms to to engage him and i said well i wouldn't be me if i did not live by the creed of freedom of speech right and then he went away, and I'm not sure if that's the reason why he deactivated his account. But this shows you that it's not just sort of the, the Muslims or sort of the Islamists who are trying to shut you down. It's really the regular white guy who is a supposedly fair-minded guy who has also been uh, parasitized by these ideas about you, right?
1: Well, sure. This is a, a years-long propaganda campaign. Uh, I published my first book in 2002, and so right then I was really quite taken aback. I was on a show, I was on actually MSNBC with uh, Keith Olbermann, who was actually being a guest host for uh, another fellow who uh, had a show at the time. Uh, It was before Olbermann had his own show, and uh, I was on with Ibrahim Hooper of the Hamas-linked Council on American-Islamic Relations. And uh, I was really quite taken aback when Hooper when it came to be his time to speak said uh, after I had given evidence that uh, quite a few mosques actually surveys show that eighty percent of mosques in the United States teach uh, hatred of Jews and Christians and the necessity ultimately to replace the Constitution with Islamic law I gave the data from these surveys and Hooper responded by saying I was a hate monger and I thought well how on earth does that follow from me quoting surveys about what American mosques teach and How is it relevant to what American mosques teach? Because even if it were true, it doesn't change what's being taught in the mosques. And that's what has to be addressed. But you see, Cooper was practicing a deflection tactic. And actually, I have internal care communications and uh, media manuals in which Cooper actually teaches Muslim spokesman exactly that labeled as such deflection tactics and one of them is to start calling your opponent names and making it all about him instead of about the issue at hand and this is what they've done to me for all these years so people who aren't informed they uh, hear my name and they think oh this is some terrible person but they actually have no idea what my work is really all about incredible
0: and by the way I I welcome viewers who uh, think that uh, Robert is a hateful monger to produce examples of that because I'm certainly open to so
1: like yeah exactly uh, so say you know another thing Gad I've often challenged uh, people especially on Twitter when they come right at you you know and I've often challenged them when they say fraud they say well can you produce one false statement I've made. About Islam and jihad, it ought to be easy i 've got forty thousand plus blog posts at jihad watch i 've got thousands of articles at pj media at front page and, and national review at other outlets i 've got uh, uh, fifteen books so it ought to be easy to find a false statement if i 'm such a horrible hateful lying individual, and yet they never come across with so,
0: so let me let me be the ostrich here uh, and play the the uh, that game so clearly you 're not a Your mother tongue is not Arabic. You didn't get your PhD at Al-Azhar University. Uh, You're not one of the faithful companions of Muhammad. So how (laughs) dare you speak against Islam? Now, usually my rebuttal to such stuff. So that's where they try to attack your credentials, right? I mean, who are you to speak about Islam? So usually I will quote the following non-experts of Islam. Let me mention a few of them. Uh, Sheikh Hassan al-Banna. Uh, The founder of the Muslim Brotherhood an absolute moron when it comes to Islam knows none of it Then I will also quote Sheikh Yusuf al-Qaradawi Arguably the top Sunni cleric today alive in the world has a viewership of over 60 million From al-Azhar University Then I will quote another guy who knows nothing about Islam Grand Ayatollah Khomeini Let me mention two other guys who know nothing about Islam then I will quote the Grand Mufti of Jerusalem, uh, Amin al-Husseini, who also knows nothing about Islam. And then of course, a contemporary, a current guy, a guy who's in the news today, who has a PhD in Islamic studies, the caliph of ISIS, Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi. I quote these people and I receive, but they don't know true Islam. They're not real Muslims. So it literally is an impenetrable wall of lunacy.
1: Yes. And uh, th- they're never going to acknowledge the truth, but their position is uh, quite obviously absurd, that they're saying that not only do the sp- spokesman that you quote, but so many others and in fact, millions of Muslims around the world, completely misunderstand Islam, including people who are the most devout. And observant Muslims. One of the recurring phenomena that we see when it comes to jihad terrorists is that they become devout, and I see it again and again and again in tracking these these news stories at Jihad Watch. That jihadis are people who are ordinary secular Westernized Muslims. They might drink or do something else that's against Islam, and then they decide to become religious. And when they become religious, grow the beards, start wearing the jalaba, and then suddenly we see that they're getting involved in jihad terror activity. Now, this is something that Muslim spokesmen in the West have tried to deny and have, uh, on very flimsy evidence, tried to claim that Muslim terrorists are not devout. But actually, devoutness in observance of Islam is the one common thread that they have from uniting them from disparate nations and ethnicities and all kinds of different backgrounds and uh, economic backgrounds and so on. And so uh, we are supposed to believe that when these people become religious and start reading the Quran and trying to apply its uh, teachings to their lives, that that's when they go completely wrong and especially you know I find it especially comical this recurring claim that these people Western Western Muslims who turn to jihad terror are radicalized on the Internet and we hear this all the time especially when uh, somebody commits a jihad attack or somebody from the US or Canada joins ISIS and we hear the, they go to the local imam and he says oh yes uh, we knew this fellow and uh, he was radicalized on the Internet and so the idea is is that in his mosque he was taught peaceful benign tolerant wonderful Islam but he goes on the internet and reads this twisted hijacked false version of Islam and immediately falls for it and so then that begs the question why is it that peaceful benign tolerant Islam that's supposedly taught in the American mosques can't withstand this appeal from this falsified hijacked version why is it that they 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 fall for it every time the idea that uh that these people all misunderstand Islam collectively in the same way is ridiculous and if you anybody who thinks about it for five minutes sees that it's ridiculous but these claims are made in order to confuse people who have not thought about these issues and are worried about appearing to be bigoted or intolerant and so the claim itself is made and it has power and then it's backed up by these spurious arguments. But anybody who thinks about them for for even a moment sees they don't hold any water.
0: I think if I'm going to be charitable, this is how I would argue in terms of why some of the people succumb to these. So I'm not talking about sort of the duplicitous, sinister types, but sort of the -the run-of-the-mill, you know, pseudo-liberal, fake progressive types. You know, the reality is that we are shaped by the daily interactions in our lives right and so most of us to the extent that we interact with a wide fabric of people our interactions are going to be positive so i mean take take me for example i mean i escaped execution from muslims but i've also interacted with endless muslims who are absolutely lovely and kind and fun and have great humor and drink and so on so if i use sort of uh my daily anecdotes to shape my worldview, then I would say, but you know, those other crazy guys must be doing something wrong because I've got so much evidence to support the fact that I interact with endless Muslims and Christians and non-believers, all of whom are lovely. So I think that's one of the obstacles. And again, I'm not talking about the sinister guys who are trying to, to lie and deceive, but the daily guy is, is unable to overcome this hurdle, which is that his daily life is not consistent with the narrative that you're saying. His daily life is he's interacted with endless Muslims, all of whom are very nice. How do we get around that
1: obstacle? Well, the thing is, is that there's been a deliberate obfuscation by the uh, Islamic advocacy groups that push the idea that to speak honestly about these issues is racist and bigoted. They also say, that if you speak about how jihadis use the texts and teachings of Islam to justify violence and supremacism, that you're anti-Muslim, and they equate Islam with Muslims. And there's actually, actually, it's not correct to equate Islam with Muslims any more than it is to equate Judaism with Jews or Christianity with Christians. Every individual approaches the religion in his or her own way. And there are people who are very devout and knowledgeable, who identify as Jews or Christians or Muslims. And there are people who are not devout or knowledgeable, who identify themselves as Jews, Christians and Muslims. And there's every spectrum in between, every uh, uh, variation in between. There are people who are knowledgeable and not devout, devout and not knowledgeable, uh, and and somewhat devout and somewhat knowledgeable, and so on and so on. The uh, idea that if a particular Muslim is a nice guy, therefore Islam must teach peace, Is the fallacy of not realizing that every individual does approach his or her religious tradition in a different way and may have a variety of uh, influences, a variety of priorities, a variety of perspectives that form his behavior? And so it's not necessarily so at all that because a particular Muslim behaves in one way, that therefore that's what Islam is all about. Well, it might just mean. He might be a nice guy, because he's a nice guy, and uh, he, he, he likes people, and he's a good soul, and whatever else. But that actually doesn't tell us anything at all, they, regarding they, whether or not Islam has doctrines of violence. He may just not be paying attention to them.
0: A tangible example of what you're saying, which I've discussed previously, is uh, if I wanted to know what is the uh, official Jewish posi- position on uh, the consumption of pork and I use my daily interactions with fellow Jews, and including my own behavior, then I would come to the undeniable conclusion that the eating of pork is allowed, because I know tons of Jews who eat pork, myself included. (laughs) Rabbi, if you're watching, I'm kidding. It's not true. I don't eat pork. Uh, But if I go to the actual teachings in Judaism, if I go to... Uh, Kashrut laws, laws of of food prohibitions, then I know that it's not allowed. So again, I think that's the key issue, differentiating the fact that some people are either not knowledgeable about what's in their text or choose to pick and choose what they want, right? I mean, there is endless enmity, uh, you know, hate animus against Jews in the Quran and in the Hadith and in endless sources of Islamic texts. Yet there are tons of Muslims who have zero hatred towards Jews, right? Uh, you know, we were, we were going to be killed by Muslims and there were also Muslims who rescued us, right? Uh, so wh- who do you base your Islam on, right? Well, it's not the behavior of the people. It's what's in the text. And if you're Jewish, you're not going to be happy about what's in the text when it comes to how they view you.
1: Oh, Absolutely. You've got the uh, transformation of the Jews who break the Sabbath into apes and pigs. That's three times in the Quran, chapters 2, 63 to 65, five fifty-nine and 60 and 7, 166. And you've got the idea that humiliation and disgrace must follow them everywhere and that uh, the, they're under the curse of Allah. Uh, The chapter 9, verse 30 says that uh, the Jews say Ezra is the son of God. Of course, no Jews have actually said that, but it's in the Quran, so it must be true. And because they say that and the Christians say Jesus is the son of God, which they do say, they're both under the curse of Allah. And the curse of Allah is not a small thing. When the Quran says in chapter 9, verse 14, fight them and Allah will punish them by your hands when chapter 289 and 3112 say that uh, the Jews are, have to be humiliated and disgraced, that's actually 3:112 says that uh, humiliation and disgrace follow them everywhere, then it, and the Muslims are the executors of the wrath of Allah, Allah will punish them through your hands, it becomes a divine responsibility, according to the Quran, for Muslims to be violent toward Jews. And of course, Muhammad in a Hadith reinforces that when he says that the end times will not come until Muslims will kill Jews and the Jews will hide behind trees and the trees will cry out "Oh, Muslim there's a Jew hiding behind me come and kill him this is a canonical Hadith and it gives this very great impression that if a Muslim wants to bring on the end times and the glorious consummation of all things he can do so by killing Jews because Muhammad says the end times will not come until Muslims kill Jews well,
0: I'll tell you a great story about this uh, Islamic Jew hatred, and I've, I've shared it publicly in the past, so for those who've heard it before, apologies. I uh, once received an email from a, a friend of mine who is no longer a friend, in part subsequent to our interaction, where she was asking me, hey, can you, I mean, you're, you're very knowledgeable on these issues, can you tell me what is the official position of Islam regarding Jews? I said, well, you know, we can get into a, a big discussion, but why don't I start you off sort of... To whet your appetite with this montage, it's about a 22-23 minute montage of various imams and uh, scholar, you know, religious, you know, Islamic religious scholars and television shows and all sorts of, uh, f- you know, walks of life from the Islamic world. Uh, what they're saying about Jews and at, towards the end of that montage, there is a. A imam, if I remember correctly, who is sort of lamenting in a very Arabic way, and Arabic is my mother tongue, so I can't be accused of not understanding and so on, uh, where he's lamenting, as as they're showing footage of the Nazis bulldozing the dead corpse of Jews into these sort of communal uh, ditches, uh, he's lamenting, oh God, why do you hate us so much? Why haven't you given us the pleasure to exterminate the Jews, right? So, I mean, it's a level of evil, of diabolical you know, uh, discourse that's difficult to imagine. Now, she's Jewish, and her I think on one side of her family, they had actually gone through the Holocaust. Can you guess what was her response to my sharing that clip subsequent to her contacting me? Can you guess?
1: Something about how Israel is so oppressive. <laughs> Good.
0: Nice effort, Robert. But no, clearly you don't understand Ostrich logic well enough. Uh, (laughs) She basically said that, you know, she accused me of being no different in my hate than the hate that was exhibited there. So she contacts me to, to elicit a, a response from me. I simply share a montage of people in their own words. That's all I do. I don't interpret anything. My sharing their genocidal ha- hate was no different than their expressing their genocidal ha- hate. Oh, yes. So when somebody's brain has been so parasitized as to no longer be able to navigate such
1: trivial realities, we're doomed. Yes, I get this all the time. I I was thinking, uh, welcome to my world, because uh, I have so often been equated with uh, Osama bin Laden or the uh, British jihad preacher when I was banned from the UK. uh, Many, many people were saying, well, uh, this is terrible. I mean, uh, even in support, you see, they were saying, uh, this is terrible because Anjum Chowdhury is uh, allowed to preach the British jihad preacher, and uh, he's allowed to roam around freely in Britain and preach his hatred. So we, uh, it's inconsistent to not let in Spencer, who's the other side of the coin. And I thought, OK, look, Anjum Chowdhury has, uh, on shows with me, has openly praised 9-11 and the July 7, 2005 bombings in London and uh, called for more jihad murder. Uh, he was on a show with Pamela Geller and he uh, was openly approving of the fatwa calling for her death. And, uh, you know, me, I've never uh, approved of any murders or uh, called for the death of anyone and uh, have actually uh, decried just that sort of thing. And so for a certain kind of politically correct mindset, we're the same thing because Chowdhury calls for jihad violence and I decry it. We must be the same thing.
0: (laughs) Exactly. So, okay, so let me ask you this then. How did you first get into this space? What was sort of the 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 impetus to you getting into it and what is it that you hope to ultimately achieve is it just your contribution to the battle of ideas why don't you speak a bit about that
1: well i got into you know how one thing leads to another and that's certainly the story of my life and then you're in a place where you never expected uh i was uh, my family is actually from the last caliphate unless you count isis the uh, ottoman empire and they were exiled from the Ottoman Empire in 1918 after declining the invitation to convert to Islam. And, but the, uh, pe-
0: the people who invited them must have misunderstood Islam yes, because Islam yes. is only about
1: tolerance and plurality, right? Yes, exactly. Yes. yes. And they misunderstood it to think that uh, they were Kufar Harbi, infidels at war with Islam, and uh, thus had to be uh, expelled or killed. And actually, some of my family was killed there, but some of them were able to get out. And uh, when I knew my grandparents, they were kindly old people. And uh, I would ask them about life uh, when they were growing up. And they were uh, very positive about it and spoke about how beautiful it was. As a matter of fact, uh, uh, my grandmother was kind of a uh, proto-Obama in saying that the, she would hear the call of the Muevin from the minaret. Uh, every morning and thought it was the most beautiful sound that she'd ever heard. Well, there uh, is a
0: very sort of spiritual sort of lamentation that can give
1: you goosebumps. I mean, I, I agree with that. So there you go. And uh, so I heard all these wonderful stories about how great it was over there. And then I would say, well, why are you here then? What happened? And they would say, well, we got exiled. And I asked them, why did you get exiled? and thinking, you know, how could they have been some sort of criminals? What was going on? And uh, they never really did uh, tell me. Uh, They they either could not or would not. And so that uh, uh, inspired in me a great curiosity, which led me to study the history of the period and the uh, history of the founding of secular Turkey and the fall of the Ottoman Empire. And ultimately, uh, I discovered what had happened and uh, uh, that of course led me into further study about Islam to see exactly what you were just saying facetiously were these people actually applying Islamic teaching or were they misunderstanders of Islam and so uh, I studied Islam in uh, in graduate school uh, originally but it was not my main concentration but not
0: as formally as Reza Aslan though
1: right we can say that he's got four degrees (laughs) Yeah, for a degree in creative writing. Right. Uh, actually, Reza Aslan, I, I think I have more study of Islam uh, on a on a graduate level than Reza Azlan. I'm not sure of that, uh, but uh, in any case, I'd put uh, my uh, knowledge of Islam up against his at any point, and I'm happy to debate him at any time. But of course, he he refuses. Uh, in any case, um, most of the study of Islam I did was on my own, and this is where people say, "Ah, oh, see, you d- you did not study at Al Azhar; you don't have any." Uh, credentials, well, the, the proof of the pudding is in the eating, and the test of whether my uh, whether I know anything about Islam or not is in whether my writings are accurate, and so the standing challenge is for anybody to point out any inaccuracy. All the challenges, well, the times when that challenge has been met that I've seen, uh, the uh, the claims that what I'm saying is false are actually true, like the the UK Home Office, that they said it's so terrible that you said Islam has is doctrines of violence. Well, I can deduce all kinds of Islamic scholars who say Islam has doctrines of violence, and so they're all ignorant of Islam as well. It's ridiculous. But in any case, because of this uh, uh, knowledge of Islam that I had uh, uh, gathered, I was uh, acting as a consultant in the 90s for some various private groups, and uh, groups that uh, were working with me privately. Zionist Jewish diabolical group, I assume, right? Yes, of course. Okay. Some of them. Gotcha. gotcha. And uh, anyway, one of them asked me after 9-11 to write a book to counter all the misinformation and disinformation that was going on uh, being spread at that time. And so I did so very quickly, had it done by December 2001, and that was my first book. And uh, after that, that, the book uh, did very well, quite unexpectedly for me and got to number 10 on the bestseller list and I was sort of shocked by that but that led me to uh, uh, be asked to do further work on this until now this is all that I do and so
0: what is your your ultimate goal is that you are just one of many voices on both sides of the aisle of the debate and you're contributing your content to that big grand battle of ideas I mean is that the ultimate goal or what? what well, is the
1: goal is the defense of Free society. Uh, I see uh, their, the freedom of speech, most notably, and the idea of the equality of rights of all people before the law. They are being threatened in ways that uh, people aren't aware of. For the most part nowadays, and I uh, very much enjoy the idea of a free society, the idea of a freedom of speech. I think freedom of speech is very important. It's our only protection against a tyrannical government that can work its will without any opposition. And uh, I believe very strongly in the idea of a secular and pluralistic society, in the non-establishment of religion, in the idea that all of us who have different ideas of what is the ultimate good can live together, without one group trying to gain hegemony over the other and that involves a certain mutual respect and the rejection of uh, uh, belief systems, political systems that are authoritarian, supremacist, uh, violent and so on and reject the idea of equality of rights of all people. Uh, that uh, These kinds of things Are the ultimate goal of my work I would like to see free society defended protected and expanded and I believe it's the best society for the flowering of the human spirit rather than one in which one dominant ideology is forced upon everyone so God and or the devil is in the details
0: so how does one go about achieving that which you just stated uh, eloquently When you do have an ideology that at its root has many tenets that are, I mean, couldn't be any more perfectly antithetical to free societies, right? Again, individual Muslims might reject all of that stuff and might want nothing more than to live in secular liberal societies, but the actual teachings within those codified texts are antithetical to our values. So then how do we navigate this issue? And then I I guess I could ask it in the context of, uh, so first answer that question, but then we can link it to the immigration policy. Why don't you start first with the general question and then we'll drill down
1: to immigration. Sure. Well, in the first place, there has to be an honest public discussion about Sharia and about how Sharia does contradict constitutional principles in numerous particulars. This ought not to be a controversial point the content of Sharia is not really all that difficult to discern. Reza Aslan, since you mentioned him before, he uh, he says that Sharia is so multifaceted and subject to so many interpretations that it cannot be uh, characterized. It could just be anything. It's right. as amorphous as water. That's postmodernism,
0: right? I mean, up is down, left is right.
1: But it's also completely false. Right. Uh, in fact, there are four primary schools of Sharia jurisprudence, of Islamic jurisprudence among the Sunnis, and of course the Sunnis are 85 to 90 percent of Muslims worldwide, and those four schools, the Shafi'i, Maliki, Hanafi, and Hanbali, they agree on 75 percent of all the rulings, and they actually have mechanisms in place in terms of the concept of ijma or consensus uh, that preclude reform of those elements of Islamic law. Also you can look at Sharia states present in the world today, Saudi Arabia, Iran, Sudan, etc. Not true Muslims, not true Muslims, Robert. They're fake yes, Muslims. Yes, uh, true true Islam, true Sharia. I guess we've never really seen it. It reminds me of when I was in college, and I was very far left, and uh, I was uh, working for the Revolutionary Communist Party. I worked in their bookstore, and uh, <laughs> uh, this, uh, I, as I started to wake up, I started to ask this girl that I was friends with, About what about Sherman Mao and all the millions of people he's killed, and what about Stalin and so on and so on. And any example I named, she dismissed it and said, Well, they're not true communists. You see, true communism has never yet been seen in the world. And I think, Well, see, it's a ridiculous argument because these people are avowedly communists and avowedly applying communist principles. And it's the same thing with the Sharia states they're avowedly Muslim and avowedly uh, enunciating uh, Muslim principles that are verifiable from manuals of Islamic law that are available in the West and so it's a it's a ridiculous thing to say that Sharia uh, does not deny the freedom of speech and does not uh, devalue and dehumanize and deny basic rights to women and non-Muslims these things are readily demonstrable and so there needs to be an honest public discussion of that and an honest challenge to the Muslim communities in the West to explicitly renounce those aspects of Islam, of Sharia, and to teach against them in an honest, transparent, and inspectable manner in mosques and Islamic schools, and to teach the value of pluralistic and secular societies. Uh, This is something that needs to be done because we see that mosques are teaching the opposite. And that is going to be trouble. That is going to cause strife and more jihad attacks in the West, as it already has done.
0: Well, you know, I, uh, speaking of Sharia law, I remember Imam Raouf, you, you probably remember who he is. For those of you who don't, he was the sort of the forefront man uh, when the Ground uh, Zero mosque controversy was happening. And I would see him uh, getting on various shows, CNN and so on, and where he would basically say that, you know, the great majority of Sharia law is perfectly consistent with the American constitution. I mean, that statement is so profoundly grotesque in how incorrect it is. You could almost not devise a codified book of laws that is any more different than the American Constitution. Let me just give you one example. I know that you probably know this, but for for our viewing audience, uh, different punishments uh, or different crimes uh, necessitate different punishments as a function of the identity of the victim and the perpetrator. That is sort of a central feature of Sharia law, right? Well, how could it be any more different than the American constitution where lady justice is blind to your identity?
1: it's very big very important point and we have to uh, I think just to make it very absolutely clear and pardon me if you, you, you may have been just about to go to this but anyway here I am uh, the the Sharia actually mandates that if a uh, Muslim kills a Muslim he has to pay a certain indemnity to the family and if he kills a Christian it's less And if he kills a Hindu, it's less than that. And so the lives of Christians, Jews, Hindus, etc. are actively explicitly devalued and are shown to be of less value than the life of a Muslim. And that is core Islamic law that is taught by all the schools of Islamic jurisprudence.
0: So then why do you think somebody on CNN doesn't then uh, confront him? Now, one, it could be just... Ignorance, right? I mean, they they're cognitively lazy. They haven't spent the necessary time to be able to refute that position, uh, or and or or possibly they know the reality, but they fear that if they do challenge them, then they will be you know Nazi racist bigots. And so, in a sense, it's a perfect storm, right? I mean, it's almost impossible to interact with these. Folks. So they are beheading you without literally beheading you, correct?
1: Yes, quite right. Uh, I doubt that CNN people, CNN hosts or analysts are aware of those aspects of Islamic law. And if they were to come across them, then whoever they have advising them on Islam, uh, you know, Reza Aslan or John Esposito or Karen Armstrong, will tell them, oh, no, 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 that's not really in there. Islam teaches equality and tolerance. And that's just something racist, bigoted Islamophobes say. And so uh, you're absolutely right. They're afraid that if they, and if they do come across actual Islamic texts teaching these things, they think, well, probably nobody really believes that. And uh, that's just, and if I do say it, then I will be a racist, bigoted, Islamophobe. So I better keep quiet and toe the line.
0: So do you, and I'll come back to the immigration issue in a second, but one of the things you said is, okay, uh, they should be sort of distancing themselves from some of these teachings and so on. So in that statement, you're implicitly, I I suppose, arguing for a, a type of reformation. Now, there are several... Uh, folks, public folks that are within the space, Majid Nawaz and others, who are so-called reformers. Now, I'm not very optimistic about this whole uh, project. What's your view? Is there a way, doctrinally speaking, for Islam to go through a reformation process where all of the problematic passages are somehow abrogated again so that we could have a spiritual nice gentle islam or are we just uh, building uh,
1: unicorn stories there are muslims who have suggested exactly that in islam as you know the i there are in the quran i should say there are verses from mecca and verses from medina the Medinan verses are generally violent and the meccan ones are more tolerant and the Medinan ones follow chronologically after the Meccan ones. And in Islamic theology, mainstream standard Islamic theology, it's generally considered that the Medinan ones, because they come later, take precedence over the Meccan, that is the violent over the peaceful. And so uh, there was a, uh, an Islamic scholar in Sudan in the 1980s, Mahmoud Mohammed Taha, who taught that the, that should be reversed and that the Meccan verses should take precedence over the Medinan and he was executed by the Sudanese government for heresy and apostasy so that just illustrates how difficult it is for reformers to get any foothold same thing with Ahmed Asid who is a, uh, a an activist in Morocco and he taught the same thing that uh, Islam should not be teaching violence, and that the Meccan verses should be considered to take precedence over the Medinan—that is, the peaceful over the violent—and uh, he, uh, he was uh, denounced by the imams in Morocco, and a uh, death fatwa was put out on his head, and he's in hiding. And so, uh, when when we have Islamic reformers treated in this way it doesn't give high hopes for the possibility of a reformation i think uh, obviously anything can happen and strange things have happened in history that nobody expected but i think that the only thing that would allow for a genuine reformation in islam would be a a a school of thought that rejected the literal understanding of the quran and uh, explicitly rejected it on some grounds and uh, were formulating some idea whereby all those furious denunciations of Jews and of Christians and of unbelievers in general were uh, considered to be some sort of exhortations to reject sin within oneself uh, and not to wage take up arms or to try to subjugate any other groups but there is no such school of thought in Islam right now and I don't see one being formulated in any of the near future on the contrary uh, jihadis are on the offense and have the the theological grounds within Islam that the moderates have not been able to refute or answer at this time. We don't see some sort of a large-scale movement among Muslims. You know, you talked about Majid Nawaz and there's uh, 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 Zudi Jasser and a few others, but they don't have a huge following among Muslims. When there were, as there was a Muslims against ISIS rally in Toronto last summer, there were 50 Muslims showed up. And uh, we see the same thing. A tiny handful of Muslims comes out against jihad terror, whereas when there was a rally in 2015 after the Charlie Hebdo cartoonists were murdered in Paris, there was a rally not in favor of the freedom of speech, but against the cartoonists and in favor of their murder. In Chechnya, 800,000 Muslims showed up for that. And uh, I think that indicates where the uh, the popular sentiments lie well that that also speaks to this
0: idea of you know the tiny minority and so on right and I think Sam Harris, another Nazi islamophobe uh, bigot, uh, has stated uh, he's, he's used sort of the concentric uh circles uh metaphor right where you know you could start with a very small group small group it could be five percent of committed jihadis but five percent of 1.6 billion is still a problem and then you've got sort of the guys who believe in political islam and the subjugation of others but doing it peacefully without violence and then you know you keep sort of blowing up the concentric circles sorry no pun intended with blowing up uh and but of course you've got sort of the silent minority who, while they may not be in the least bit interested in all of these sort of injunctions from the Quran and so on, they do come with a set of cultural slash religious values that are, again, perfectly inconsistent with Western liberal secular values, which kind of leads me to the issue of immigration, right? When, when, for example, Canada now is letting in, you know, tons of Syrian refugees, the issue is not to try to calculate how many potential ISIS members might infiltrate the 25,000 or 50,000. Uh, a, a, an equally apt question is to ask, out of the twenty-five or 50,000 Syrians who are going to come, how many of them hold rabid genocidal Jew hatred positions how many of them think that gays uh, should not have equal rights now that's a problem right so you don't just have to isolate the ISIS members and otherwise everybody else is leave it to be gentle right I mean how do we navigate through this issue
1: yeah you're quite right we're talking about a radically different idea of how society and culture ought to be organized the uh, the the Muslim immigrants are the first immigrant group to come to the West with a ready-made model of society and governance that they consider to be superior to that of the countries to which they're coming and so that has very very dangerous implications, survey after survey in the Islamic world has shown that there are very high levels of anti-Semitism among Muslims, very high levels of support for restrictions on the freedom of speech, very high levels of support for various laws devaluing women and so on. And so how are uh, Canada and the United States going to deal with large numbers of these people coming in and uh, expecting to impose their values. Uh, I think one very notable example that would be instructive for people to see is uh, Bosh Faustin, the uh, winner of our Muhammad cartoon contest in Garland that was uh, fired upon by jihadis last year and he gives a talk you can find on YouTube the talk he gave that night at the event he uh, describes growing up as a secular Muslim and uh, he is an ex-Muslim now and when he he was um, uh, growing up His family was not observant, they were not religious, they didn't read the Quran or go to mosque, but he said that they took for granted, it was just taken for granted, the hatred of Jews and the devaluing of women. These were just elements of life that everybody in his circle took for granted. I grew up in that world, I know all about it. There you go. And so, it's going to cause strife in an upheaval in the West. There's just no avoiding that. And the denial of our authorities is only going to make it worse. I'm
0: going to read to you a quote that I've read on previous shows, but you may have not seen it. So here it goes. This is, uh, I won't say who it's from, but this is from a gentleman who actually was a guest on my show, who um, appeared in front of the uh, Canadian parliament, a standing committee on uh, immigration. Uh, And here's, Part of his quote. So let me read it. It's a bit long, but it's, it's worth sort of going through it. So the flow of immigration into Canada from around the world, and in particular, the flow from Muslim countries, means a pouring in of numbers into a liberal society of people from cultures, at best non-liberal. But we know through our studies and observation that the illiberal mix of cultures cultures poses one of the greatest dilemmas and an unprecedented challenge to liberal societies such as ours when there is no demand placed on immigrants any longer to assimilate into the founding liberal values of the countries to which they have immigrated. Instead, a misguided and thoroughly wrong-headed policy of multiculturalism encourages the opposite. He goes on. It's a very poignant thing. Do you you have any guesses as to who that person was? Uh, Do you you know at all who it is? No? Uh, uh, I
1: don't know.
0: Who is it? Who'd you say?
1: Tarek Fatah.
0: It very well. That's a very good guess, and I'm hoping to have him as a, a future guest on the show. Uh, this is uh, Professor Salim Mansour, who right. is who is a practicing Muslim who uh, who takes his religion very seriously, but who appears in front of the Canadian government and basically says <clears throat> you have to stop this immigration policy. So clearly, he must be part of the Donald Trump, Sarah Palin, uh, hateful Christian militia correct there's no other way to explain it right
1: yes absolutely Uh, there are there are obviously Muslims who are honest about the difficulties that Islamic law poses for pluralistic Western societies Uh, but uh, unfortunately they speak more as uh, you're noting they have more of an audience among non-muslims than they do among muslims and uh... that is an indication of the fact that the islamic texts do have this particular content and muslims are aware of that content in the main and thus there is unfortunately support on far more widespread basis than most western authorities want to admit for uh, jihad for oppression of women for the hatred of jews Far more support for those kinds of things in Muslim communities than is generally acknowledged.
0: Now, what's very interesting about many of the folks with whom I've spoken, who are you know very vociferous critics of aspects of Islam, someone like Professor Mansour, who will go in front of the Canadian government and say, you know, stop. I mean, you're right. Donald Trump says it, and he's a Nazi white you know Islamophobe. But this guy, he's brown, he's Indian Muslim, says says actually much worse things. Uh, Yet he gets a pass. Now, here's the interesting thing. Many of these guys who are at the forefront, many Muslims who are at the forefront of criticizing these aspects of Islam, when you push them on the religion, will then engage in astounding mental gymnastics. I mean, Olympic level mental gymnastics to somehow still defend the faith. So what hope do we have when you have committed fighters against something resembling Islam, but then when you really target your criticism somehow to Islam, it's not really Islam, it's Islamic culture, it's Islamic, right? How do we get around this obstacle? How do we get people who otherwise are certainly on the side of liberal, secular cultures to actually speak honestly about the religious texts?
1: Well, it's very hard because uh, there's a tremendous loyalty that Islam inculcates in its followers. And uh, while there are very courageous people, spokespeople who've left Islam Ayan Hirsi Ali, Wafa Sultan, Noni Darwish, Ibn Warak, uh there are others like Salim Mansour and Tariq Fatah who uh make it take incredible pains and go through all sorts of, as you say, mental gymnastics to uh, say that the problem is not really Islam at all. I, uh, you know, I was, I was not going to mention it just uh, out of politeness, but I was actually about 10 years ago in a, uh, a print debate on front page magazine with salim Mansour and i 'm sure it 's readily findable online uh, where he does exactly that where I was asking him about various Islamic texts and teachings, and he started uh, going into all this billowy nonsense about there being an internal Islam that was different from the external islam and and i okay the how do we counter this? Well, I think the only thing that I know to do is just to keep telling the truth and to say you 're never going to if you really oppose these the, these Muslim Brotherhood elements and Al-Qaeda and ISIS and so on, then you're never going to get anywhere by uh, uh, spinning out a lot of I- I- nonsense about some I- internal Islam, some cloudy, peaceful Islam that doesn't actually have any grounding in the texts because these people are reading the texts and applying what the texts say. And unless and until you confront that, you're not really going to get to the heart of the problem. Well, I call it
0: uh, unicorn Islam, and the, w- the way it works is as follows let's suppose i am a gay woman uh, maybe you could think of someone who is gay w- okay let me just mention who it is irshad manji right she is a, she, she is someone who criticizes uh, islam but somehow because she is a, a lesbian a woman of islamic descent uh, she concocts a version of islam that only exists in the deep recesses of her mind uh, that basically says no, no, but true Islam is actually very tolerant of homosexuality, or something to that effect. I can't remember the exact details. And what so- it
1: says is, uh, as far as I know, yeah, I don't want to misrepresent her uh, her views, but as far as I know uh, from some interaction that we had a few years back, that uh, uh, she says that there was this golden age in Islam in the Middle Ages where it was peaceful and tolerant, and where uh, you had the Persian poets who were openly gay. And they were not uh, persecuted or prosecuted, and that that 's the true essence of islam but uh, that is uh, unfortunately a wild exaggeration and when you look closely at wonderful, tolerant medieval Islam, it wasn 't really all that wonderful or tolerant
0: well, and I will actually I, I did a, a sad truth clip on this to talk about this idea that if you, you sort of unfold history to a time where there wasn't sort of mass genocide, and then you use that time period as an example of the truth of the religion or the, the how nice it is. And the example I gave was that of Jeffrey Dahmer, the serial killer. If you look at Jeffrey Dahmer and count the number of days while he was an adult that he killed somebody, I think he killed 17 people. Now, in terms of his whole lifetime as an adult, what I can't remember the numbers, something like 98. Eight percent of the days that he lived as an adult, he did not kill anybody. So why are we going to tar Jeffrey Dahmer for the (laughs) 17 murders he committed on those fateful 1% of days when I could point to 99% of days where he was a lovely chap, right? So the, (laughs) the idea of Islamic tolerance of the golden age and so on is exactly that. Now, obviously, you don't expect an ideology to, in a contiguous, uninterrupted manner, kill everybody on site, But does Islam uh, promote tolerance towards homosexuality? Well, if you think that's true, then I've got a bridge to sell you. So now you've got other folks who are Muslim who have an affinity for Jews. They will argue, no, 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 but the true Islam loves Jews. I mean, as a matter of fact, think of my Maimonides. He was a physician who was, uh, you know, in the sultan's court and so on. So there is this inability to truly jump into the abyss of honesty and shed your previous identity, and I think you hit it exactly right, which is, it's not just Islam, religion creates incredible loyalty because it's the only product where you have access to a consumer straight out of the womb, right? I mean, if you think about uh, laws that protect children from advertisers right we're not allowed to target children who are let's say under 10 years old or whatever the number is depending on the country because they don't yet have the cognitive apparatus to counter the selling message yet you could take a child straight out of the womb and feed him whether it be Judaism or Christianity or whatever it is well what do you expect that child to grow up it's going to take a lot of deprogramming to disassociate from that identity right
1: absolutely yes and it's much more, it's much easier for a Muslim who uh, the horror of it all begins to dawn upon. The idea that uh, his religion advocates stoning and beheading and amputation and oppression and so on. It's much easier to retreat to a position where he's saying, well, it doesn't really teach any of this. And uh, that's, those are the misunderstanders. I, I can tell you about uh, Zudi Jasser uh, years ago. David Horowitz and I had an initiative to uh, ask Muslim groups to repudiate the genocidal Hadith that I quoted earlier, oh Muslim, there's a Jew hiding behind me, come and kill him, and all that, and uh, I asked Jasser to uh, do it, and uh, we were on the phone, and he said, well, I can't do this because I don't think Muhammad really said this, and I said, well, that's really neither here nor there, because Hamas thinks Muhammad said this, so can you repudiate it on that basis, and then he agreed, but he said, I can do this, but only if your name is not on the uh, initiative. And I said, "What's wrong with me?" He said, "Well, you wrote a biography of Muhammad, and you said that he was uh, a warlord and married a nine-year-old and and had his enemies executed and so on." And I said, "Well, I got that from Bukhari and Muslim and Ibn Ishaq and Ibn Hisham. Uh, Who was I supposed to go to to get details about Muhammad? Those are the earliest available sources for Muhammad's biography, written by pious Muslims. What's the problem?" And He said, well, those are the sources. I'm not disputing that. I don't have any better sources. I just know Muhammad was a wonderful man. So in other words, he was saying he has his own private Islam that has no basis in Islamic texts or teachings. And on that basis, he is claiming that Islam teaches peace and that Muhammad was great. But there's really, he has, there's no foundation for that. It's as if a Christian were to say, well, I know that uh, Jesus was an arms trader." and that he flew to the moon, and that's true Christianity. It's got no basis in the texts, but
0: there it is. Well, I've, I I recently had a conversation with a uh, student who, uh, you know, did very much what uh, uh, Jasir did, which is basically she said, well, you know, I grew up in a very tolerant, liberal, Muslim family where we were taught that uh, Jews and Christians Uh, were absolutely our brothers in every possible way. I said, well, that's absolutely wonderful that you grew up in such a liberal family, but certainly you could understand that one can point to many sources that would argue that you were the Anomaly and of course she didn't like that, right? But again, it's because my personal narrative is the one that I could always turn to Right, and so what Jasser is saying basically is that look he comes from an environment where you know somehow Muhammad wasn't the one that's in the authenticated hadith and that's the one that I'm going to go on because again Our personal narratives are the ones that are most palpable to us and I think until we're able to sort of overcome this cognitive bias We will always have these mental gymnastics happening, right? Indeed so, yes. Yeah. So let's see if we can... Well, first, I want to reiterate as we approach the end of our chat. uh, I want to reiterate that if anybody... I I am very open. I mean, a true intellectual is one that is willing to reevaluate his or her positions... Uh, in light of incoming evidence. So uh, to me, it seems as though I haven't found any evidence that Robert Spencer is a member of the Nazi party. But (laughs) if there is anybody, I'm willing to change my opinion. If there are people who could point us to ways in which he is fraudulent, he's uh, condoned hate, he's condoned violence, uh, we've got this forum called YouTube Comments. Please post them. I won't take them down as long as they are genuine. They're not just ad hominem attacks. And so that's the challenge. Demonstrate that he is a hateful guy and we can all reevaluate our opinions of him. Until then, you seem like a very reasonable guy and contrary to the Appalachians, you seem like a very decent fellow. I truly thank you for having uh, sat down with me to chat. Are there any projects that we might not be familiar with at this point that you'd like to promote before we uh, wrap it up?
1: Well, I can tell you that... uh... In July, my uh, next book, The Complete Infidel's Guide to Iran, will be out. And uh, that has a uh, detailed explanation of the Iran nuclear deal and what's wrong with it and why it's so dangerous and explains what Iran's plans are for the world uh, in ways that I think will surprise quite a few people. That uh, uh, Certainly when I was researching the book, they surprised me. I knew the Islamic Republic was a dangerous force, but I had no idea of the extent. And so the Complete Infidels Guide to Iran will be out July 11th from Regnery Publishing. Wonderful. Look forward to
0: checking it out. Thank you very much, Robert. Stay on the line. Uh, Please, people, one of the ways that you can contribute in the Battle of Ideas is by sharing these videos. Uh, So please go ahead and share it. Have a great weekend. Robert, stay on the line. Thank you.